Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowen, Pastor Adam Osier wrap up their discussion on this four-part series looking at a New Testament passage and its application. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal and inerrant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and a faithful service to His kingdom since 1964. To learn more or apply, look at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. You are a coward. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to talk to... Uh, I, I, I've discovered that I'm, I'm relatively good, Jason says, at the uh, golf announcer. Yes. This is Adam Osier. Pastor Adam Osher. But they, yeah, I, I thought about doing an entire episode like that, and Jason said he would mute my microphone. So, uh, <laughs> judging by the fact that he always wants to mute my microphone, I don't want to push him any closer to that. <laughs> so, here we Just are. Just give me a reason. Adam. Looking at the New uh, Testament today, yes. a nice little number out of the book of Romans. Yes. Wow. That is very, that's very compelling. Uh, is I could fall asleep. You sound like the old overnight guy at KTIS. <laughs> Just saying. Maybe I was. What, what do you think I did in college when I was there? <laughs> For those of you who don't know what KTIS is, it's the Christian radio station in Minneapolis. Or Affiliated with Northwestern yeah. College. Yes. yes. Yeah. All right, Brett, save us. All right. Uh, we are wrapping up our four parts. He can't. Part. That's the yeah. whole point, Jason. Yeah, right. Literally <laughs> the entire point of this We've been arc. talking about justification all these weeks. And uh, he can't save us, but he yes. will try in vain. Right. Read the Bible, bro. I'll, I'll read the Bible that tells us where how we are saved. And yes. All right. Yeah. We are wrapping up our series, four part series, as we continue our march through the small called articles, and uh, we're talking about justification here. I just kind of gave up on like trying to say which section and that. And, part two, yeah. Article one. I'll just ask you to say it. Thank yep. you. I'm all over uh, that, like white on rice. Hmm. Yeah. Not the osier. You are white. Not the osier yeah. index. You're not. <laughs> Not in the Osher Index? Nope. All oh, right. Uh, no. <laughs> you are going to talk like that. No, I won't. Okay, Go yeah. ahead. Uh, Romans 5. Uh, we're talking about Romans 5 Romans versus... 4. Oh, I'm sorry. Romans 6. Wow. Oh, wow. Did I just say 6? <laughs> yeah. Romans 4, there we 16. Are. There we go. That's... You just like, did the whole holy hand grenade routine from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> Thou shalt not pretendus unto five. Uh, with, Six is right out. Without even trying. Yeah, yeah, good job. All right, Romans 4, 16 through 25. That's what I was trying to say. All right, uh, read this in Jesus' name. It says, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the ad adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah, Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised." 
That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Here ends the reading of God's word. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Lots to unpack there. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty straightforward. <laughs> Reads yeah. like a Reader's Digest condensed book. And then just uh, just read it again and yeah, we'll say end of episode. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good stuff. So uh, we're thinking about justification here. Um, right off the bat, right off the bat here, verse sixteen, he's talking about faith. Uh, this is why it depends on faith. So yeah, I think faith yeah. is the missing element in what we've discussed mm-hmm. so far because it's not really a part of the original article. Yeah. But again, the American conception of faith ultimately ends up being that it's our contribution to everything else God has done, right? And so, mm-hmm. faith is, uh, you know. Our sincerity, our earnestness. He's done everything. All you got to do is... Yeah, just yeah, believe just it, right? Just believe it, yeah. And, yeah. and we fail to realize that even faith itself is a gift of God. That goes back to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But we're always trying to elbow our way into the conversation. You know, God says, I've done this for you, and, but what did I do? Mm-hmm. No, no, I did this for you. Well, yeah, but what did I... No, I did this, you know, and we're, we're always in this tug of war. And here is where we get the whole picture that faith, Abraham's faith was not based on his sincerity, uh, that he's credited for his faith, even as it wavered. It's it's just the end of the passage. I I hate starting out there, but it's always been fascinating to me that Abraham's faith is conceived of by Paul as not having wavered, where we know in human terms, his faith absolutely did waver, Mm -hmm. you know, through the whole of his life, Abraham's faith wavered. Yeah. The expression of the faith wavered, but the faith that saved him did not. And that's exactly the point of Romans chapter four. So Abraham goes to Egypt with Sarah and, you know, God has this promise to Abraham and Abraham's like, well, my wife's kind of hot. I I don't just say, say you're my sister. And that gets him into all sorts of trouble. He does the exact same thing again with Abimelech. And then he cries out to God, you know, you've promised me this child and Eliezer, my son, is going to be my heir. And the whole time God is calming him down. And the expression of Abraham's faith wavers, but his saving faith, that which God grants him because of the promise does not waver. And I think that is immensely instructive to us in the church today for how we talk about faith. And just like grace, Hmm. faith is not a substance that can be measured. One of the things, and this this makes me want to like tear my corneas out with a rusty nail. Uh, that, that, was, <laughs> that was that was even gruesome for me. Sorry, it was gruesome. Sorry, yeah. Listener. Vivid. Uh, yeah, it, when I will will have a whole semester, we'll talk about Romans because it's this is not the only place in Romans that discusses this. That faith is a gift of God; it's from Him, and all of these things. We discuss it and discuss it and discuss it, and then I'll, I'll read something later, and one of the students will say, "But really, it's up to my free will to choose Him or not." No, no. That's where you do have that record screeching sound sound bite. <laughs> yeah. That's just get me the get me the rusty nail now. I'm done. <laughs> uh, no, but it's it's just really really uh, sad to hear that because 
when a person has that mentality, no matter how it, it comes about, whether it's it's conscious and you're thinking about it, and like I need to decide this today, or just even having that on the back burner of your mind, it's going to automatically bring you into a lack of assurance of salvation. Yep. Because, and that's exactly yeah. what, what uh, Luther talks about in this article. And he talks about the nature of, of why it's so important that we believe the right thing that, you know, and that's, that's the critical part to this. Why, why do we need to believe justification is all about Jesus work for us? Even the faith that gives us justification, the grants justification, because it's about him doing the work and we can't. And the second it becomes about that, it's just, I know that that student, if I read that, I know that student is going to be in some, because we all do it anyway, but it's, there's a, Lack of assurance there, mm-hmm. a lack of comfort, a lack of peace, a disturbing of the conscience, and it's something that can be completely alleviated when we read these words and see it's all about Jesus. And ultimately, for me, it was the lack of faith that almost caused me to walk away from the faith, that I always saw that my end of things was faulty. And the funny thing is, I was right. <laughs> my end of things was faulty. Yeah. It's just I was trying to do my end of things as having mm-hmm. some contribution to my salvation. And the faith comes from God, right? Now, we realize, and, and this is where I think the Lutherans are most brilliant and most obnoxious at the same time. We realize in Scripture that faith is sometimes talked about as trust, mm-hmm. right? And our trust can grow. And in fact, you know, one of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, that, that faith... That, that trust in God, there's a difference between saving faith and reflective faith. And that's the, the terms that the Lutheran fathers use to discuss it. Saving faith, the faith by which we receive the gospel and have it applied to our life, is always a gift of God. It is not a work. It is not something we conjure up in ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Reflective faith is a part of our sanctification. Right. It's part of what we... And that that's the danger is when we confuse those two or, or at, what's the word conflate those two, but put them together. Because what ends up happening is the faith that saves, it's a gift of God, all of a sudden becomes something that I need to do. And there is there is a sense in which we we all who are cognitively able, not children or those maybe with um, you know mental, mental disabilities. disabilities and things like that, but but for those of us who are you know thinking people, we do have the sense in which I have you know I do believe God and I can explain to you why I believe in Him. He's He's kept this promise, this promise, this promise, and this promise. Uh, that's an expression of the faith that's already been worked in my heart and something that's part of the sanctification that grows, right? That reflective faith mm-hmm. that that grows. And so by the time that you're able to express reflective faith, you've already had faith worked in your heart, yeah. right? It's it's already happened. So it's like I believe. Believe Jesus that you you know the, the sinner's prayer that I've prayed so I, I think I prayed it every night just to be safe in case I died while I was asleep. seriously I mean that's that's the lack of assurance that comes here right yeah. when it becomes about did I pray that sinner's prayer well enough did I mean it enough was I good enough all of that but when you're saying you know God I admit that I'm a sinner I know that you're a savior please forgive me of my sin and make me your child I, I would pray that every single night just to make sure. But at the end of the day, how can I say that in, in any capacity without, I mean, I could, you know, mouth the words, but how could I have that confidence or hope or desire without the fact that God had already done the work in me? Yeah, no one can say, Lord, Lord, apart from the work of right. the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. So so here, you know, with Abraham, the the faith of Abraham, you, we know that he was declared just or righteous 
we can go back to the Genesis account of Abraham and walk through it in the highs and lows and, you know, the time where, you know, Hagar and all, all of that and, and still see, I guess I'm, I'm having a hard time just saying, where do we see saving faith versus that reflective faith kind of struggling or... Well, and that's where humans, we can't, Mm -hmm. you know, it's... So go back to like when God showed Abraham all the stars in the sky. Well, what we know is God told us precisely at that moment, Abraham, God created faith in Abraham's heart because Genesis 15, 6 says Abraham believed God Mm -hmm. and God credited credited to him as righteousness. Sure. Okay. It's not given to us to declare someone in or out. It is given to us to measure their fruit. Right, and and if we see the fruit of someone's life is not consistent with the fruit of faith, then we need to rebuke them. Mm-hmm. But we don't ever have the right of saying this person is in, this person is right. out. It's not like that revolving door where you just kind of yeah. go in and in and out, in and out. Yeah. Now I I have to be careful with the way I say this, and I know yeah. some people are going to take offense to it, so I want to walk it back a little bit. I can uh, a large number of the funerals that I've done as a pastor, I can declare with confidence. That the person died in the faith. Sure. Right. So, but that's simply because I see the fruit of faith in their life. I see the the consistency of the confession of faith, and so those are the means by which God has given me to do that. Uh, what what I'm not going to be doing is policing the borders of heaven. <laughs> you know, I, I'm yeah. not going to be the one to do that. And and we don't know in the moments before one dies how the Holy Spirit works on the heart. All we know is the evidence from their life. I will very rarely say with confidence that someone's in hell. Or mm. yeah, I just I hesitate to make that because we don't see the inner workings of the heart. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't see how God is working, the Holy Spirit is working on the spirit. That's not for us to do. And and this actually comes back to our theology of baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and where we differ with the credo Baptists, where baptism is a confession of faith, that baptism is the deliverance of faith, is that baptism can save because the moment anyone comes to faith is a miraculous work of God in the same way that the moment an infant comes to faith when they're baptized. Mm-hmm. Those are the same thing. And so it's not for us to be policing the borders of heaven and to say, you're in, you're in, you're not in. That's w- what the Holy Spirit does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I think that's helpful. Yeah. And yeah. Adam, do you have any? I, I think that's that's good and that's helpful. One of the things that stood out to me, if I can, just go yeah. back to the text. We, we keep talking about it, it being God's doing and how do we know this, you know, from the text. It's that it's God gives life to the dead. Did you read that, Jason, when you were talking about that? We were talking about faith alone saves. Verse uh, what 17, would it be? 17 he gives there. life to the dead. Yeah, he gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. That is my very favorite description of God in all of Scripture. Yeah, and, and, but that's exactly what he, he has done. He's, he's you know raised his son from the dead. We saw the example of Lazarus and all these different things. And he calls into existence that which does not exist. He points back to creation, God who created everything, right? Uh, and, and ultimately... He, why would why would Paul bring in the con you know conversation of creation in this passage about faith? 
Why would he do it? Because, because God, God is the one who creates yeah. the faith. Well, and, and, and that's exactly what Paul's saying here. And, and just that, that's so, so the reason I say that is because sometimes we make these statements as, you know, those who would hold to a Lutheran position, faith is a gift of God. And then we, we go to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but it's not just Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's, it's here. Remember. And, and it's I want Ephesians you to see. Ephesians 2, 1 through, you know, 1 through 7, too. Yeah. Yep. And it's like, yeah, death to life, you know, exactly. Ephesians 2, you know, that Paul, you know, says the same thing, you know, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, uh, verse 4, 2, 4, but God, you know, yeah. <laughs> but except, except God. Yep. He, he is the one who is the one who's able to make the dead alive and call into existence things which do not exist. Well, and this is, this is the danger in the American church's obsession with evangelism. And their conception of faith. Because mm-hmm. so many people, as they do evangelism, they treat faith on the... It's kind of this two-tiered thing like Nancy Piercy talks about. Mm-hmm. They first think about faith as mental assent to a series of facts. Mm-hmm. And so that, uh, for some, the exercise of apologetics is just presenting the facts so that the person can make the decision about which system is better, right? Well, the problem with that is that's not what faith is. We can't even believe the facts because we're dead, Mm-hmm. Right and and but the, this whole thing goes around to if we go back to Genesis one and two, which this is using Genesis language. Our passage here from Romans four is using Genesis language. The American church, with our obsession about the Bible as an instruction manual for life, as addressing mental assent to facts, treats Genesis one and two as if it's God's miraculous apologetic against evolution. Mm-hmm. Okay. God doesn't need to make an apologetic against evolution in the scriptures because evolution isn't a threat to God. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and, and it wasn't as, as the time at the time it was being written and spoken to the people. That wasn't even a consideration. No, for the first, you know. 3,800 years, you know, or whatever, um, exactly. whatever it's been, you know, yeah. yeah, but it's not a threat. And so if we come to scripture with the understanding that all scripture points to Jesus, Paul explains to us here, the reason Genesis one and two are in the Bible is to demonstrate to us beyond a shadow of a doubt that God can create out of nothing. And, and the confession and the understanding that God can create out of nothing comes into our appreciation for the work of salvation that the Holy Spirit does through the word, because God creates our faith out of nothing. It's not a substance within us. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and muster up after we hear an emotional message or an emotional song. God creates our faith out of nothing. And that's those two words in Ephesians 2, 4, but God. You know, that's the turn of grace. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in the way in which we formerly walked as pagans, as faithless idolaters, God in his grace and mercy, but God in his grace and mercy spoke our faith into existence by the promises of the gospel. That's what happened to Abraham. Mm -hmm. That's what happened to Paul. That's what happened to Brett and Adam and me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and for the readers here, uh, you know, I, I love how towards the end of this text that we're, we're looking at, he says in verse 24, or verse 23, the words, it was counted, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, yeah. uh, to be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, yeah, it, it's this is the, the grace... Uh, justification being delivered and, and created in, in hearts. Yeah, we take, then we take that it was credited to him as righteousness, literally. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. That's the same thing that happens to us, is when yeah. we believe yes. what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, when we believe the promises of God, it is credited to us as righteousness. That's that imputation language that we talked about three episodes ago. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Uh, Paul's line of thought, just his his ability to construct this, and he he does this a couple other places where um, he uses Old Testament almost like an allegory. Um, you know, and you know, we can't you know we you know, don't want to origin it up here, but like or o r i g e n the yeah, the father, the, yeah, you know, who was big into to um. Uh, allegory, but the the point here is he uses this picture of Sarah, and he does this a couple places where he's talking about Sarah's womb and this and that. So you have this illustration of probably the most notable promise that he makes to to uh, to um, Abraham when he I was going to say Abram, whatever his name was initially, right? Abram. He, he makes this promise to Abe and Ur, and he says. I'm going to do all these things. And, and it was almost as we see this in, in Jesus too, where he says, you are going to get a son. That's impossible. God, it, it's very simple to say, hey, if you leave here, you can get to a place and, and you can get to a, a scenario where, you know, you're going to have a new place to live. It's going to be nice there. I could say that to anybody, and that's going to work. Yeah, you, you sound can't like a televangelist, psychic kind of person. Yes, you know, just uh, you know, I'll I'll pray for you, and your illness is going to be healed. But all of these miracles, right? Like the fact that okay, my wife should not. My wife's womb is dead. There is nothing there. It was almost like God saying, "Okay, just so you believe that my promises about what is to come that I'm going to make, that I'm going to bless the world through you, just so you believe that that's true. Here, I'm going to make your your uh, wife's womb that is good as dead." alive. And I'm going to give you what wasn't, I'm now will be, and, and that will be a son. And you get all of this. It's like this promise of God. He's saying, remember the promises, remember these promises. And just so you're con- convinced that when I say to you, and this is where Jesus does it, get up and you know, that your sins are forgiven in order that you'll believe that get up and walk too, right? Cause I know that's going to be harder for you to believe. It's easy to say, well, are my sins forgiven or not? Well, get up and walk. Okay. Uh, is God going to, to bless the world through you? Is he going to bring the, the Messiah through your line, through your genealogy? All right. You believe me? Okay. All right. Sarah, you're old, but you're going to have a baby, right? That's what he's doing here. And it's just, Paul is, is seeing in Abraham and he's seeing in Sarah and he's seeing in Isaac, the child of promise, as you walk through this whole picture of the gospel, that, that God is making these promises. He says, I'm going to take care of your sin, but just so you believe it, here's a baby too. He's cute. Name him, he laughs. laughs. You know, it'll be fun. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what he does. God's God, it, and, and Paul recognizes this in the scripture. Obviously, he kind of had some Holy Spirit help, but the, <laughs> the whole idea of, uh, of bringing that in and tying the Old and the New Testaments in together, this concept of justification, the promise of forgiveness of sins, the faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and the one who is to come, all of that, it, Paul does a great job for us. Yeah, that, that final verse, verse 25 really just puts the cherry on top of everything we've been talking about. And really is a summary that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised, and raised for our justification. And so that the picture of what happened to Abraham is the picture of what happens to us. Our sin debt has been canceled by Jesus. And in fact, we have language throughout scripture that indicates this beyond a shadow of a doubt. So we talked about several episodes ago, the word to telestai, uh, it is finished from John 19, literally means paid in full. Greeks used to write to Telestai across the receipts of transactions to show that a bill had been paid in full. Uh, Colossians 2 takes that in that our sin debt was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And so it was canceled in that way. But it's not just that our sin debt has been canceled, is that we are completely reconciled to God. 
And that complete reconciliation to God is not based on our future performance. It's based on the completed performance of what Jesus has done. And that's where that justification is tied to Jesus' resurrection. Because then Jesus' resurrection is the final victory over sin, death, and the devil. And it's always important that we say that. It sounds cliche in Lutheran to say it, but Jesus conquered sin conquered death and conquered the devil with his death and his resurrection so that they are no longer binding on our eternal destiny. That's the power of justification. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. I think that's a fantastic spot to end. Thanks for listening to these episodes about justification. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. You are all invited to the Summer Institute of Theology. It happens August 7th through the 11th at the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. Join pastors and lay people from around the country for training in apologetics, congregational leadership, systematic theology, and studies in the Psalms. Find a full list of electives and registration at flbc.edu slash SIT. God bless you and have a great week.